This is Beer and Be Movies. I'm Jason. And I'm Michael. Today we are going to be discussing Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things from 1972. And we are drinking Strange Magic from Moonraker Brewing in Auburn, California. Cheers. It's a hazy IPA. Nice citrus notes. You get a little pineapple in there. Bit of bitterness, which you don't often get in the hazy IPAs. This is a very drinkable beer. And I think the name goes well with the movie we are discussing. There is some strange magic and children shouldn't play with dead things. That (laughs) is for sure. So, a B-movie, low budget, $70,000. The acting is not there. It's poor. It's poor. We don't know most of these people. I think out of everybody who appeared in this movie, I believe there's one actress. She played Terry. Her name is Jane Daly, who I think has had the most success when it comes to acting. She's had a long career. Everyone else, like Jeff, he was Santa Claus. I mean, he was a friend of Bob Clark, too, so he was Santa Claus in Christmas Story, but not a big career. The acting and the dialogue this is, was, it's a B-movie. It, this wasn't a springboard. No. This, this wasn't sending all these, wow, you know? all Look at all these people. This wasn't Mean Streets, you know, where you, where you go, oh, wow, De Niro and Harvey Keitel are coming out of this. Oh, man, this is, this is children shouldn't play with dead things. A guy went on to direct Porky's. Another guy made a toy. Yes. That's, I mean, that's the claim claim to fame, which is great. You know, kudos. You made a living. You did that. It's what you really should be known for is this movie. This was directed by Bob Clark. And Bob Clark. Bob Clark or Benjamin Clark? <laughs> Benjamin Bob Clark. Yeah. He <laughs> will always have a place in my heart because along with the actual writer, Gene Shepard, he created 1983's A Christmas Story. Some other people might remember him and have a place in his heart because he did Porky's. <laughs> but for me, it's The Christmas Story. There's an outlier <laughs> in his oeuvre, <laughs> and it's A Christmas Story. Because you look, you've got this movie, you've got like Porky's, you, and then all of a sudden A Christmas Story, which is this classic, wonderful movie, but it just seems like an outlier in his canon. It does. Because that's very much a family holiday movie. We watch it in this household every year. I think they're beginning to sour on it, but they know the names. They know Ralphie. He also directed um, Rhinestone, another (laughs) classic. You beat me to that, and I I was so angry because I saw Rhinestone in the theater. What was that, 1983 or 84? Around that time? Yeah, so I was a little kid. Not sure why my dad took me to that movie. I just like going to movies. But we went to... And even then, I was like 10 years old. I knew that movie sucked. Hard. (laughs) It was so bad. It was just terrible. But yeah, you beat me to that. When I saw you put that in the notes, I just went, damn it. You beat me to it. Because that... Rhinestone's horrible. (laughs) It has has Sylvester Stallone, Dolly Parton, and Tim Thomerson (laughs) as as the bad guy. (laughs) The nemesis. But anyways, so Bob Clark directed this. I think it was one of his first films. He went on, I think right after this, they made a couple more horror movies, like Deranged or Death Realm. This was one of his first movies. I think Alan and him knew each other from college. Yeah, the University of Miami, they they met in 1965. It's probably one of the first zombie movies after Night of the Living Dead. Um, I think there's a couple. I think one might have been an Italian movie, but I think this is one of the first yeah, the, American movies the, right the, after. The Italians yeah. got their hooks into the zombie movie. And that goes to a point I I think I made to you, Lucio Fulci's 
Zombie 2, the final, I don't, spoiler alert, I hope you're all right with that. Um, the final scene shows a bunch of zombies going across the Brooklyn Bridge, going into the city, which to me kind of mimics the end of this film. The zombies, after they come up and sort of eat everybody, they climb onto the boat and they're sort of, they're going to be sailing to Miami, to the big city. Similar, like this is only the beginning kind of vibe yeah. that you get from this. So I don't know if they ever thought about doing a sequel. Children shouldn't play with dead things. Well, when I was researching this, I believe around, around 2011, 2012, there was talk about Tom Savini remaking this. But nothing came of it. Yeah. But you're right. It's that nihilistic ending where Completely no one survives this. No one. And at the end, it's the zombies, like you said. They're on their, the boat that, came, that took the troop over to the island. Now they're back on the boat and they're going to the mainland. Yes. The, and, the living came over. The dead yeah. are coming back. Al, Alan Ormsby. Orm, Ormsby. I don't know if he qualifies as an auteur, but, but he sure uh, seems to carry himself as yes, an auteur in this. Tell us a little bit about Alan the person and Alan the character. The character Alan, this was the first time I've ever seen this movie. I've now watched it several times. I think you have seen it before. This this was my pick, and I'm not ashamed to say that I watched it long before we ever decided to do this podcast. I do like this movie. I'm not going to deny it. It is definitely low budget. It is definitely cheesy, but it's spooky. It is, and I've watched it several times. But I believe after watching the within the first 15 minutes, I text you and said, I want to punch the character Alan in the face. One of the most punchable faces and just attitudes yes you could come across believe he owns a theater company he maybe he's the theater manager director but clearly he is the money behind this small florida theater group which seems at the time is very demand because these people are willing to do anything to keep their acting job in this troupe anything and he, and he has them under contract he he threatens to terminate contracts at at different points in the movie but what he gets them to do is they go to this island where he is going to cast a spell to raise the dead. This entails sending two people ahead to abduct and tie up the caretaker of the cemetery on the island. And then dig up a body and put one of the living people, one of them, in the grave to conduct this elaborate scare on the troop. A big prank. A big prank. This is a prank. This yes. is his idea of a prank, is beating up an old caretaker, exhuming a body just to scare people, and they go for it. Yeah, he has this troop enthralled because they are so scared about losing their job. When he tells them, we're going to go to this island, we're going to desecrate a grave, <laughs> they, no one says, I object. What we hear is, we're behind you. We'll follow you through. And he is a, a horrible person. He's just rude. He's rude. <laughs> He's very egotistical. Condescending. Yes, everything. Bullying. You just want to punch him. Yeah, the, the only thing he has minutes. going for him, he's got some cool striped pants. I got to be honest, his striped pants... They're just these vertical striped pants. They're so 1972. They're awesome. They are. He I had, would wear those pants today. He has, he has a, <laughs> is it an orange satin shirt? Blouse? With a, yeah, blouse. With, is it an ascot that he's wearing? And I, 
I mean, he looks like He's, part of it is... A, so many affectations, yes. we can't even... I mean, there's there's an entire... We could do an entire episode dedicated to Alan Ormsby's character because the affectations, even the mustache, everything about him... The actor, Alan Ormsby himself, uh, there's an interview, we'll link out to it in our show notes, where he is talking about the attire that he wore and that he hated it. <laughs> Ooh, okay. And he said that his character himself, he, he, he watched the movie, he still enjoys it, but he looks at the dialogue, the acting, his clothes, he's like, you know, pretty cheesy. And he makes it very clear, this was a direct copy of his homage to Night of Living Dead, which just came out a couple of years beforehand. Yeah, 1768? Alan himself, I mean, I believe he wrote... A couple other movies that are well-known. He wrote that 1982 Cat People. I think that was the remake of the Val Luton Cat People from the Yes, 40s. it was. Um, Paul Schrader directed. And he also had some claim to fame where he created a toy, which I thought was really unusual. Um, I'm looking for the name. It escapes me right now. But it was uh, um, a head that you could put different makeup on. Because he was also the makeup artist on this. And we do have to talk that these zombies do look scary. I think he did it, a good job. For, the, the, the make the makeup in this movie, that's where the budget went. because It wasn't the actors. <laughs> yeah, it, it was not the actors. It was not the lighting, which is just that stark, bright light or total darkness, which makes it even more spooky. I think sometimes not having a budget, I think Evil Dead. You don't have a lot of budget, and the lighting, that lack of budget makes it scarier because of the visual. And this movie has that. There's just a, a constant kind of dread. You know something's coming. And I think part of it is the lack of money they had, was they just had to shoot bare bones. I think when you don't have money and you're a B-movie, you try to create tension. And so as we both discussed, you don't see these zombies until how far into the movie? It's an hour and 26 minute movie. And it's an hour and three minutes when the zombie actually do something to a living person. We see the, a little twitch on a, on a corpse before, but it's an hour and three minutes in that a zombie grabs a living person and then all hell breaks loose. That's when the zombies come. It's well paced out that they don't just barrage you with it. I also wonder if that's a budgetary thing that they couldn't afford to have these people made up all the time. They're like, we can only have them made up so to you know for this amount of time. So we can't have them, you know, be doing makeup every day, Alan. We have so so let's just make it they come two thirds of the way through, which I think added to it because you know something's coming. They build up that tension by having the one zombie that they keep in make makeup, Orville. They build up tension by having that constant around and you're just waiting for that dead person to do something. And the whole movie you're waiting to, and I think one of the scariest points of the movie is one of the very ending shots. And, and that's a sign of a good horror movie. At the very end, that last shot, Orville's there and he finally reacts. And about the zombies, yes, in the same interview he mentioned, and this is, uh, I don't know if this interview is about 10 years old, but Alan Ornsey mentions that they just wound up a bunch of hippies who were in Florida and said, hey, We'll pay you a couple of bucks if you want to be zombies in this movie. And he said at one point they went on strike because the food service wasn't that great on set. Boy, that, <laughs> that's nervy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, bunch of beach bums just suddenly. <laughs> but they build up that tension that for that first hour with just this dead body that they're kind of dragging around. Dragging around. Very much a, Which, a weekend bomb burning. 
And there, um, what is it, Terry? Is that the young woman who takes issue? Yes. So they dig up a grave. They do this, and, and the living guy comes out, scares them. The prank's done, and then Alan says, "I'm going to do this spell and like raise the dead." It doesn't work, you know, or he thinks it doesn't work. So Val, right? Is that Val? Yeah. There's three women in in this movie. Anya, who I'm assuming is Alan's sister. I think it's his wife. Wife. Okay. Yeah. Anya Ormsby. Yeah. She is the crazy one. Yes. Where she... Or is she? Because she's... Clearly senses that what they're she's doing got, is she's morally wrong. She's sensitive to what's going on. She sees they're disrespecting everything. Yes. <laughs> they're pretty much disrespecting every, life. They're disrespecting life. And they drag the corpse into the cottage. That's where Terry draws yeah. the line. She draws the line. Like, and, like, she's okay that they dug up the corpse... Threw it over like a headstone and are just laughing and making merry, goofing the whole time. But when they decide we're going to take the corpse into the cottage, she goes, this, give him some dignity. That's that's the line she drew. And he threatens her <laughs> yes. at that point. And she once again, she backs down. She wants to keep her job. Totally capitulates. And then she starts asking for forgiveness of Orville. I mean, there's suspension of disbelief. And then there's this movie. And, and I will say it was a precursor to the, the whole idea of the slasher film when you're when you, you go, don't do that. Don't go in that house. You know, when you're always yelling at the movie that this movie, there's a lot of that. And it was before that became just a, a trope for horror movies. There's a lot of don't do that. That's a bad idea. Right. Exactly. You don't see a lot of that. I see it in this movie. I'm not saying this movie is like groundbreaking. But there, there's, there are a couple elements, and that's one of them I saw, is you're going, don't do that. That's a bad idea. And you don't see that at all. Yeah. They, they continue to follow Alan until they get their just desserts. Yes. Once they brought Oral back into the house, oh. and then it looks like Alan is trying to reassert his control over the group because of his failed attempt at raising the dead. And Val, who looks like it's his nemesis, she's always throwing barbs at him, Mm -hmm. still works for him. She does a far more theatrical spell. So he's going to just keep raising the stakes. So first of all, he wants them, he wants Jeff to marry him in Orville. And then they bring Orville up to the bedroom and it gets really creepy. Very. Almost close to what you want to say is necrophilia where it's just Orville the dead body and Alan in bed with him. And Alan makes these comments where they might be even closer to friends at some point. Paraphrasing, but along those lines. It's they, creepy. They just keep finding things to cross over. Yeah, and make Alan more and more of a despicable person. And there's a moment in the end. Alan and Anya? Yes. When he's going, they're going upstairs. They're the last two standing. And they're retreating from the zombies. They're coming into the cottage. They're going upstairs. The zombies kind of get close. And he sort of throws her. He throws her. He makes no effort to try to save her. The zombies get her. And the zombies, if you if you go back and look, the zombies pause and look at him as if to say, wow, you are a horrible person. You know what I mean? Yeah, there is that, that pause, that yes. There's a pause. And they're looking and they're just wide-eyed like, you just kind of threw this person to save yourself. You're beneath us. There's, it's sort of that humanity is just irredeemable. You know? Exactly. And Alan just did that. But then, no, I watched it, I watched it and I even I reversed it. I went back and I just went, yeah, that's a moment. 
There is. Because she... And then they kind of carry her away. You don't see them eating her. They kind of... Because she's the one that is in tune with them. So they kind of carry her away. You don't know. I mean, you assume she gets eaten. But they sort of carry her away with a certain level of respect. But they all just look at him like, dude, we're zombies and you're less human than us. Exactly. And this is when it gets to the end of the movie... That tension that built with having that dead body Orville around the whole time. The zombies have taken over the house. He's sacrificed Anya. He goes up to his bedroom and opens the door and he realizes that what bedroom he walked in. And that scene right there with Orville sitting on the bed, now sitting up for the first time, and you realize this is the end. This is his comeuppance for everything that he's transgressed. The one who's been disrespected the most from the, from the beginning. Yeah. He's the one they dug up to do the prank. They took his body out to replace with the living person. The person that's been disrespected the most is going to get the person who disrespected him the most. Absolutely. It's it's Shakespearean. <laughs> there is um, a film critic. His name is John Kenneth Muir, and he wrote this book called um, 1970s Horror Movies. Once again, we'll put it out in our show notes. But he makes an interesting comparison. Because although Alan Bornsby in this interview says, yeah, it's a direct copy. We saw this movie. We thought, hey, let's put some money together. Let's make another zombie movie. You're not living dead. It shows humans trying to be heroic, facing the end. Even though at the end there is no justice because the main character gets shot at the very end. In this movie, it's the opposite. <laughs> These people, as we point out, are desecrating a grave they're following their troop leader to this island they're agreeing and desecrating the grave it's actually a big prank on them but no one mentions the fact that alan sent his two goons over dressed up opening credit fantastic scary very creepy they kidnap and assault the groundskeeper as part of this prank his whole troop follows him over there they prank i mean they're they agree to do this and so we think these people, we look, we get to know all the different characters, and we think, oh, they're all good people, but they're agreeing to go into a graveyard, desecrate it, and then they're okay with him dragging a dead body that was freshly buried back to the cabin they're staying at. So in this, they truly are children. They're very immature. They are really acting. I know Anya's like, we should not be doing this. They're, and that's probably why she's one of the last ones to go. And at the end, there is justice because they've bothered these people they brought him back to life and they don't survive disrespected everything that you can would this movie exist without night of the living dead i think alan ormsby kind of answers that yeah he says it's a direct copy another reason it's good that night of the living dead exists because this movie is cheesy it's but it's it's got its place and i think it's more people should see this movie if you're into horror movies you should see this movie because there are some very cool elements to it. Well, I'm glad we drank. We had that strange magic that we've been drinking this whole time. I'm done with it. It's It was delicious. The The beer ball itself is like a piece of art. The thing about it is there's they use strange magic. And we're drinking strange magic. To bring the dead back to life. But there's also this strange magic of Alan's hold over this troop. It's cult-like. Absolutely. You know, and I know it's in the wake of Manson. It might be easy to, you know, revision it, you know, to look back 20, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. But there is sort of the cult thing going on there where somehow these people, normal people aren't going to follow this guy to do the dumb things they do and the, and the gross things they do. But so it almost made me think of, of something like Manson where you think you see Charles Manson and we all just now see Manson as the lunatic. 
the sicko, but there was something that people were drawn to. He was able to cast some spell, some strange magic was going on with him. And the same with Alan, because these people, you separate when they're talking, you go, well, that seems like a normal person. That seems like a normal, was it Jeff and Terry? Was that the couple? Paul Paul and Terry. Paul and Terry. They would be talking and they seem like, oh, there's a normal couple. But then they would do all these dumb things for Alan. That's not believable. But then you think, well, cults aren't believable. The idea of like Charles Manson coming and I'd go, get out of my home. You're creepy. You're weird. Get out of here. I don't want to be around you. But cult figures have that. And I wonder if that was sort of a take they were doing. Because there's not a lot that would make me believe just normal people. If you if I said, Jason, come over here. We're going to dig up a grave, remove the corpse, and assault, drag, uh, drag it in. gatekeeper. Yeah, yeah. Go tie up that gatekeeper. Go beat up that old man, which is really sad because he ends up getting eaten. Yes. It's like he's tied up. We we don't see him forever. No. They leave him tied up against a tree. And then when the zombies are coming, like a zombie walks by him and he's all freaked out. He's tied up. He's gagged. And he's looking. And the zombie walks by and you think, oh, he's he's going to get out of this one. And the zombie pauses and looks back and goes, dude, yeah. I see you. <laughs> Everyone, let's eat this guy. And the poor dude gets eaten. It's a bummer. It is. It's a total bummer for him. He suffers for no reason except for a prank. I do have to wonder, after watching this movie a few times, I sort of went, why does that island need a caretaker? Exactly. It's, it's an old... He said they moved the graves from elsewhere at one point, I believe. Didn't I, he say that? I think telling a lot of stories... I think not all true. Not all true to add to the prank. Because he said the first groundskeeper killed his whole family, and the second one was either put in a sane asylum or something like that. I think it was trying to add atmosphere the whole time. And he even mentions, because for a long time since the zombies don't show up, you know it's a horror movie. You know something's going to happen. You know they dig up a dead body and they're doing a satanic ritual. But you're not sure what happens. And he gives like a lot of, like, there is tons of breadcrumbs thrown out to lead you the wrong way. The fact that maybe Alan even mentions, like, maybe I'm bringing you all here to get rid of you all, which... Wouldn't it make a lot? I mean, if you have a theater company, your money's in your actors, so getting rid of them all. But yeah, who mi- knows? a lot of mixed signals. Yeah, he says maybe there's a bunch. You of You need this job, yeah. but I'm going to kill you. <laughs> exactly. He mentions maybe there's some hippies or like a satanic ritual taking place here. He tells these stories. It makes him unsure of what's going to happen. We're just all confused. Yes. There's a whole lot going until on. the zombies come back. And, and that's sort of well. There's nothing. There's no palate cleanser. Yeah. Like a bunch of zombies <laughs> just overrunning everything. Why do they need a caretaker? No, no reason. I mean, and the house. You that... know what they need a caretaker for is to keep people from coming out and defiling the grave. Exactly. And he failed. He so failed he, miserably. Maybe he deserved to be eaten by zombies because he can't even. He can't even keep Alan no. from coming out and defiling graves. And I mean, I'm not. I'm not a brawler, but I'm pretty confident I could take Alan. You know, if he came down to if he he came to my graveyard and was like, I'm going to dig it up and do pranks. I go, no, you're not. And then I beat him up. You know, I'd take his stripy pants. I go, these are cool pants. You go home now in your blouse. <laughs> beat it. <laughs> and he was the quintessential, like, Scooby-Doo groundskeeper. Because at the very beginning, he's, like, bubbling. I mean, it's, it's, it is on, now going to be on my Halloween playlist. The makeup is scary. The tension they build. They do a decent job. And that nihilistic ending, that's what you're looking for in a horror movie. 
yeah, there's no, they're not tying things up in a, no. in a, in a ribbon. When Paul takes off and he goes, I'm going to try to get out of here. You, you go, well, maybe, but then no, 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 he's no. going to die. They're, they all have to die for their poor decision making, their lack of morals of being a children and following someone who they should not be following. And I think it's also telling that the worst of them, Alan, is the last one to die. It's it's not like he gets his first. He is the last one standing. That's everybody true. everybody else dies. It's just that cynical, that nasty, that the worst person is the last one to get it. So takeaways on, on this movie. I recommend it. It's it's a cool little scary movie. Like you said, for Halloween. If you're doing a viewing, very cool. Very cool. I, th- I think it would be great to dress up. I would love to find Alan's outfit because it would be just be... You, and then you wear that. And then if anybody goes, oh my gosh, children shouldn't play with dead things, you buy that person a drink. Exactly. That Anybody who recognizes me in that outfit, I'll buy a drink. I would say the attire... Everyone's... Alan's the best. <laughs> but the overall attire, everybody, from the early 1970s... It is some really good clothing. This on is everyone. so 70s. The the soundtrack, the boom, boom, that synth sound. It's like if you if you hear that, you go, oh, that movie was made between 1968 and 1975. That's the only time that sort of weird one note boom is used. It's only that it's kind of a psychedelic weird throwing you out of your normal normalcy. That's very, very 70s. The clothes, the sound, it just nails it. No, it does. And in terms of that sound, it was interesting because there is a wolf howl in the background. (laughs) And I just don't, I mean, this is an example of, it's a B movie. They're using sounds that they could afford. But I'm not sure if that's the type of mammal that would actually live on a small island off the coast of Florida. I could be wrong. It adds to the the atmosphere. <laughs> but every time I heard that, I'm like, it's that? Jason, <laughs> I'm not a park ranger. But I'm going to say, you know, you're not wrong. A small <laughs> island right off of Miami is not going to have wolves. No. I mean, no. I know there's, there's Isle Royale and Lake Superior has wolves. They crossed over years ago. They have moose and wolves on an island in Lake Superior. If you know where that is, that's up in the far northern part of the country by Canada. There are wolves on that island. Miami? No. No. There wouldn't even be coyotes. I don't I don't think there's yeah, so the the wolves it does it added to the atmosphere, but it's not believable. No. They aren't really there. I, lo- I I liked it. It added, it, but, it was great. But it I, threw I, me off every time I heard it. And and, and again, I I, can, I just I recommend this movie if you're if you're into horror movies, you got to have this one under your belt at some point. It's Absolutely. Just, it's an hour and twenty six minutes, so it's not trying to get too schmancy. It's not like oh two and a half hours. It's an hour and twenty six minutes of just laughs and fun and some good scares. Nice atmosphere builds on the dread with some of the little kind of cheap boo scares. Yes, that you gotta have. And it opens up with a cheap scare. It it ends it's, perfectly. And it just yeah, when you have the two goons that are following them, and people say, "Oh, I feel like you know we're being followed," and then they just show a dark wood with you know forest with a figure moving. I mean, it it just builds on this creep factor. It'd be great for you know a movie night. 
bunch of popcorn, some drinks. And Moonraker would be a great Moonraker IPAs. They do their IPA game is on point. So I would recommend Strange Magic. Children shouldn't play with dead things. Yeah. And Together. That, and that's a night. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'm Jason. And I'm Michael. And this is Beer and B Movies. Thank you. I mean, that's no, we we need to cut that. That needs to be cut out. Shakespearean. That was horrible. Can't believe that.